As you guys are seated, children, you can be released for Children's Church. And we are excited this morning because today is a very special Sunday. We have a couple different things going on. The first, which you've already heard, is we are getting ready to launch New City Fellowship, which so excited for Pastor Justin, who you just heard up here. And we're going to be doing that at the end of the service. And we are so grateful, so thankful to see the gospel continue to go out from our midst and see God's faithfulness in that. Also, we're going to be starting Advent. This is kind of what you heard as, as we were lighting the candle, that Advent, as Anthony said, means coming. It's this moment that we stand in this reality between the already and not yet. The already as we look back and we remember that Christ has come. He, he came and we celebrate, we anticipate celebrating that together as a church family. But then there's the, the not yet that he is coming again. For his church. And so we await with expectation that the God who was, fa- who was faithful to his promises will continue to be faithful for the promises that we wait for. But when we think of the Christmas season, there's two words that come to mind. The, the songs we, we sing, the, the themes that come up this time of year, hope and joy. The, these realities of, of hope and joy, but but why? That's the question I want us to consider this morning. Why should we today have hope and joy? That, that a baby was born 2,000 years ago? Doesn't that happen every day? Like, have you watched the news? Are, are you reading the news? Have you seen the things that, that are going on, the hostages, the, the wars, the, the injustices, and then what? Because it's Christmas time, we have hope and joy. 25 natural disasters in the U.S. alone this past year. Floods, tornadoes. More and more people than ever before are suffering from anxiety and depression. So it raises that important question that we have to ask. Okay, hope and joy, but let's be honest. Who cares? Who cares? So a baby boy was born 2,000 years ago. And you're telling me that should impact the affections and reality and security of my heart today? Why? Here's my aim this morning. I want to bend our hearts just one degree towards the reality of the hope and joy we have in Christ. Just one degree. Now, you you may be saying, like, I'm not very hopeful in this message. If you're only hoping to bend my heart one degree, like, okay, I've been sick for the past week and a half, but like, is this going to be an okay message? But here's what I'm thinking. One degree can make all the difference. Like water at at 211 degrees is merely hot water. One degree more, just one degree more, it becomes steam. And now it has the potential to move a locomotive weighing 1.2 million pounds. One degree. What would it look like this morning? If your heart was bent just one degree towards hope, towards joy, 
away from despair, away from fear, towards the hope that we have in Christ. This morning, we're going to look at the origin story of hope. I I saw a little girl this morning carrying around Wonder Woman, right? And and then she came up later and she's like, and I also have Batgirl, right? (laughs) Like it was this secret. And I'm like, and I like Spider-Man when I was young. But like, I love the superhero movies and I love the origin story, right? Like like the origin story, where did it come from? How did it begin? And that's what I want to look at this morning. The origin story of hope. When was the first utterance spoken? This promise of hope. When all that was good became broken and lost. When when for that first time, pain first overshadowed peace. When that treadmill of toil was first turned on and began its pace that would outrun rest. When the knife of division first cut through the closest of relationships. In the darkest moment of human history, the origin of hope. And I pray that as we behold that this morning, that your hearts will be bent just one degree towards the hope we have in Christ. So I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Lord, as we open your word, we don't do so with our own understanding and in our own strength. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to behold the realities of the beauty of Christ in your words. And so, Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you incline and bend our hearts to the truth of your word? Lord, would the power of your spirit do what my words are incapable of doing on their own? So, Lord, we surrender this time to you. We stand under the authority of your word. Lord, speak and give us ears to hear. And in Jesus' name. Beginning in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or, or you will die. No, 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 no. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and, and you yourself will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the, and the woman saw, she saw that the tree was was good for food. It was delightful to, to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. And so she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened 
And they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife, he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord God called out to the man, and he said to them, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God asked, who, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman, the woman that you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and, and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between, the, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now I realize some may be looking at me saying, I thought we were talking about the origin of hope. I realize there may be some confusion and I want you to track along with me this morning because I believe we need to start with some important questions that everyone needs to ask. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian this morning, if you're not a Christian and you're just here and you're observing that there's a question that all of us have to reconcile in our minds. Like, why is the world broken? Like, something's wrong, right? Why are things, why are people not the way they're supposed to be? Who's to blame? What's to blame for what's broken? All of us have to come up with an idea to understand why are things not the way they are? Why are there wars? Why are there disasters? Why do we get that phone call of a diagnosis of cancer? Why are things broken? Why do we turn on the news and we see nations raging against each other? Why are things the way they are? And we come up with all sorts of ideas. We think, oh, if, if you could take just one thing and remove it from the world, and tomorrow it'll be gone and forevermore to try to fix the world, what would you remove? What would you take away? Because sometimes we say, well, maybe if there's no national lines, maybe if there's no ethnicity, maybe if we were all exactly the same, there would be no divisions. We wouldn't have nations raging against each other. Maybe if we all looked the same, if we all had the same passport, then we wouldn't make distinctions based on eye color or hairstyle or the shape of your nose. But all it takes is a brief study of history to realize that the divisions go beneath skin and passports to something much deeper inside of us that seeks to separate and divide peoples. Maybe if we could take away greed and power, maybe then everything would be okay. Maybe if the victim became the victor, Maybe if everyone had the exact same amount of money and no one had more or less power and everyone made the exact same amount of money, maybe then we wouldn't compare to one another. Maybe we wouldn't compare how you use your resources and I use mine and and, and maybe there wouldn't be any greed. But yet we know, we know 
that the engine of greed in our heart is fueled by something much deeper within. We feel it. Others have said, well, maybe if you just get God out of the picture. Frederick Nietzsche said this in in his uh, Carl Truman's book, said that Frederick Nietzsche demanded the polite enlightenment atheist face up to the consequences of ultimately killing God. He insisted that mankind was free to create their, their own identity, to create their own meaning. Surely everything would be better if we could just get God out of the picture. If there was no religion, if there was no God, maybe then there would be peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Maybe that's what we need. But therein lies the heart of the problem. It reminds me, and I I never thought that I would actually say these words up here, of a Taylor Swift song. (laughs) Right? But it's true. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. All right, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But there's a reality to that. If you want to know what's wrong with the world, all I have to do is look in the mirror. I'm part of it. It's me. I am the problem. It lies within. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 3. When we look at where Genesis 1 and 2 begins, there's a part of the story we need to understand before we can understand the words of hope. We need to first understand the reality of our despair. That the problem isn't outside. The problem isn't just some circumstance. The problem isn't just something that can be removed. The problem is within And it's us. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God is the author of everything we see and everything we don't see. That he created the the heavens and the earth. He formed them out of nothing. When no substance, no raw materials to begin with. Merely the power of his words and he created everything that we see. And he filled it with beauty and goodness for our flourishing and for our good. He filled the earth, that God is the author of everything. And because he is the author, he has authority over his creation. The author has authority over his creation. He wrote the story. He wrote creation. And by the the power of his being, he created everything. And therefore has authority over it. And he called it good. He said it was very very good. There were no wars. There were no divisions. There were no natural disasters. There was no floods, no hurricanes, no death, no sin. It was all good. It was right and as it should be until it wasn't. This is when the created, us, rebelled against the Creator. Genesis 3 is how the Bible answers what's wrong with the world. This is the Christian worldview as to why the world is broken. That the serpent questioned. 
Did the author really say? Did he really mean what he said? Do the, the, do the words that he said really mean what we think they mean? Maybe they mean something else. God didn't tell you everything. He told you some things. But he withheld. Didn't you know you could be like God? Didn't you know you could be the author of your own story? See, the lies that we've heard throughout culture, enlightenment, romantics, Nietzsche, Marx, Darwin says, oh, you can be the author. Remove God from the picture. These are not new insights. These are merely echoes of the lies of a serpent in the garden. Did God really mean that? Maybe he didn't tell you everything. Maybe, maybe you can write your own story and you'll be happier that way. But let's be honest. Adam and Eve were not deceived. They claimed to be deceived. We were tricked. We didn't know we couldn't eat from that tree. They knew. Right? When you look at it, Adam and Eve knew. They said, that looks tasty. Right? That looks good. That's like a ribeye on a tree. Like, I mean, if it's good and it's beautiful, surely God wants me to eat it. Right? It doesn't matter if he said, like, don't eat it. Maybe don't doesn't mean don't. Because it looks good. And it'll be good for me. Like, there's nutrients in that. God called all creation good, didn't he? So why would God not want us to have a good thing? See, we can start to, like, sympathize with them. We can hear how it went. I don't think I would have been any better. I would have just been the first one to try it. Don't eat that, like this one. Like, looks good. They were not deceived. They saw it. They thought it looked good. They thought it was good for them. They're like, it's beautiful. And so they ate it. They rebelled against God. They tried to write the story themselves. And it brought brokenness. Now, here's the thing. Some may say, that wasn't me. (laughs) Right? Why should I be punished? Why do I live in a broken world? Because they disobeyed. This is where Romans 5 tells us, therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man, through one man being Adam, sin entered the world and death came by sin. And in this way, death spread to all people, to all of us, because Adam sinned. Now, here's the reality. Some may say, well, that's not fair. But let me ask you this. I'm aware my mom is here this morning. And we're having a potluck after the service. So any story I tell you of my childhood, you're going to be able to confirm with her if it's true or not. Okay? So if I stand up here and I tell you that I was a perfect child, like I was not like normal children, like my parents actually had to sit me down and tell me like, I know you're perfect, but you're not going to fit in this way. Like mom and dad, we like to play detective. And so every now and then I want you to lie when you get in trouble and and blame your big sister. And then we'll figure out if you're telling the truth or not and punish everybody. And it'll be a lot of fun. Okay. Do you think that conversation ever happened? Yeah, no, no. See, I was the kid who like took the pen knife to the brand new bed that my parents saved months to buy. That was me. The reality is we don't have to teach our children to be bad right? Did anybody have to teach your children to lie? Like anybody. Like we say, don't touch. And they're like this, like this It's like, like fully touch or touch, touch. Like 
Can I tell like, and like from the moment they can like barely do anything. Here's what I mean by that. Sin, I'm the problem. It's me. It's in all of us. None of us had to be taught to do what was bad. I find it comes very natural, right? Like I want to be prideful. I want to like defend myself. Like if I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to lie. Like it, I don't even mean to. It's like just the first thing out of my mouth. There's a brokenness in us. And if we're honest, we want to find it out there, but we just need to look in the mirror and say, it's me. And it says that the punishment for this, the reality of what happened in the story of humanity, when we try to write it ourselves, when, when we said we want to be the author of our own story, it says death entered the world and death through sin. Death means separation. It's a, it, it's a separation. When we think of it naturally, when we breathe our last breath, our soul is separated from our body. There's a separation that happens. Spiritually, then, there's a separation between our soul and God. Just like Adam and Eve, after they sinned, one of the consequences where they, they were removed from the Garden of Eden. There was a, a separation. We see this separation play out in, in between nations, between people groups. We see this separation and division happening, death and destruction into the closest of relationships that can be between nations and can be between spouses, can be between family members. The division that creeps in where sin permeates. And it all comes back to this one moment. This one moment in Genesis 3 when, when mankind took the cosmic pen from God and tried to write their own story. In defiance to his authority, to his plan. And it brought brokenness. And now Romans 8 says that the earth groans. Like the earth groans and we see the groaning play out in disasters. We hear the groans in our own hearts, it says, as, as believers cry out and groan. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We feel the reality. When we're aware of the brokenness in the world around us, there is an internal, this internal groaning that happens. Something's wrong. And I want it to be made right. But here's the crazy part. When we look at everything that's broken, when we look at the world, what question do we so often hear? Well, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? If God is so good, if he's so sovereign, why is there illness? Why is there disease? Why is there natural disease? Isn't he the one to blame? It's crazy when we think about it. It would be as if someone came to my house that we've just had recently painted and it's white with black trim and they come to my house and they take a flamethrower and they torch my entire yard and all my shrubs. They take buckets of paint and they toss it on the house destroying it. They take rocks and, and bats and they break all the windows, right? And then they stand on the sidewalk with the HOA and they're just like, 
you're such a terrible homeowner. Right? It's ridiculous. But isn't that what we've done? God created the world. It was good. It was very good. It was our sin that brought brokenness and sin into the world. And then we look at God and we blame Him. He was the author and we decided we could write it better. And we brought brokenness and we brought sin and the sin is in us. And then we look at God and we blame Him. Well, you must not be any good. It's insanity. But what we're ultimately trying to do is protect ourselves because none of us want to look in the mirror and say, it's me. I, I, I'm the problem. It's me. But that's the part we need to get to. Because it's only when we realize that, that our hearts can then begin to be moved toward hope. It's only when we understand what the problem really is that we can taste the sweetness of the hope that we have in Christ. This is where I want our hearts to be moved. But first we have to realize that we're standing in our own mess. It reminds me, the picture, like when I say that, I have this picture in my mind. When my oldest daughter was two years old, our family was in Spain. And when we were there, it was kind of odd because like it doesn't get dark until much later. And so they were eating dinner at like nine, 10 at night. And that was new. And like we were trying to keep Eleanor on a schedule. She wasn't quite two. And so we put her in bed and we kind of blacked out the lights and we put her in her nightgown and we laid her down. And then we went into the other room to hang out with friends and then have our dinner. So a little bit of time went by and we're like, we should go check on Eleanor, you know, make sure she's okay. And, and thankfully when we went in, she was okay. She was alive. Um, the room was not okay. What had happened is while we were not in the room, she found the diaper bag. And so there was, it started with like the, the baby wipes strewn about the floor and then there was Eleanor sitting on the bed, no longer in, in her nightgown, just in, in her diaper. And she had found the, a large jar of Vaseline, right? And she had very thoroughly conditioned her hair. And, and she had like lotioned all her skin and the bed. But that wasn't enough. So then she found a brand new large bottle of baby powder. It's like the child's version of like tar and feathering themselves, right? And just dumped it on her head and on her body and on like across the room. And so you walk in and she's just like sitting there like, this was fun a second ago, right? Like, and and I remember just like hitting the bed with my hand and it was like this blanket of white just lifted and fell back down. Like the baby powder thing was empty. I want you to imagine yourself as Eleanor this morning. Okay? That's you. Taking that cosmic pen and trying to write your own story. It's all fun and games. It was. Until now you're, you're, you're You're sticky, and you're dirty, and you're covered in filth, and the mess is so big, it is well beyond your capability to clean up. 
and you've been caught. And time's up. And you tried to do it your own way. But that's you. This is the place in the story where God is entering into the reality of brokenness. Sin and death has entered the story. And Adam and Eve are there. And there's shame. And there's guilt. And I want you to ask yourself, what is the expression on God's face when he walks in the room and he sees you there? Completely dirty. Completely broken. What words come out of his mouth? Like what happens in that moment, in your mind's eye? Is it yelling, screaming? Is it, is it thrashing? Is it like, how does God respond at the lowest moment of human history? Because this is where I want our hearts to be turned toward hope. This is where I want our hearts to be turned towards joy because the words that come out of God's mouth are called the proto-evangelium. Now you might be like, what's that? We're familiar with the word prototype, right? Like prototype, it's the first of a thing. It's the first of a type of thing that's going to be developed later on, but it's a a proof of concept, if you will. This is what it's going to be. This is what you can expect to happen. And this is what are the first words out of Jesus' mouth. It's the first gospel. The gospel is first found in Genesis 3.15. At the lowest point of human history, yes, death has entered the world because of our sin. Yes, there are going to be consequences for our actions. There will be war, there will be broken relationships, disease, hunger, natural disasters, there will be toil, there will be pain in childbirth. But God is the rightful author of our story. And though we've tried to rewrite it, here's what I want us to see. That death, though it has entered because of our sin, it is not final. That sin, though it is present, it will not always be victorious. That the separation that is about to exist between mankind and God and between people will not always be in separation. There will be unity. There will be life. There will be restoration. And from the moment of our brokenness, in that darkest hour, what I want us to see is the light of hope that begins to dawn over the horizon of despair. This is what I want us to see. You know, like when you go out to watch the sunrise and you don't yet see the sun above the horizon, but you see the reality of its light, that the darkness has broken, the night is no more, dawn is approaching, and you know the sun is about to rise. You don't see it yet, but you see the reality. This passage is the light before the sun breaks the horizon. It it is the beginning of, It is the first gospel of a promise of what's to come. And I want us to see what that means. When we look at at 3.15, I will put hostility between you and the woman. God is speaking to the serpent, 
to Satan. And he was like, look, this battle that has begun, it is not over. The war has not been won. The battle is not over. This will continue. Eve would experience this in her life, in her children's life, in in her relationship with her husband, that there would be this battling between Satan and evil and Eve directly. And then it says, in between your being Satan's offspring, offspring of evil, of demons, of sin, of brokenness, in between the offspring of Eve, which is mankind. This is what we feel. There is this continual battle that is happening. But this is what I want us to see. Look at where it turns. Look at the words that are used. But he... This one, this male who will come from mankind as a representative, he, he is going to strike the head, this fatal mortal blow against Satan himself over death and destruction. He will crush your head. This is a fatal blow. And meanwhile, Satan will bruise his heel. It is a non-lethal That death will not hold him. The grave will not be victorious. He will be bruised. He will be beaten. But he will live and be victorious. And Satan will be defeated. The evil that has entered the world will come to an end. Death will be no more. Sin will be no more. What has entered in the darkness. God was not surprised. He walked into the mess of human reality that they had brought on themselves. In accusation against God, I thought you were good and holy. Meanwhile, being the very culprits and vandals themselves, and God says, I'm going to make all things right. There will come one who will defeat Satan, who will be victorious. And we come to know him as Jesus Christ, the crucified who lived God taking on human flesh. This is what we celebrate in Advent. This is why we have hope and joy today because a baby boy was born 2,000 years ago. Because it was promised in the garden at our lowest moment when everything, when the darkness was the thickest, when it could have been, we surprised God. He was not surprised. He's like, I'm going to fix it. There will come one who will defeat sin and death. And his name is Jesus. And he would be crucified on the cross. He would die for three days and rise from the dead and death would not be victorious. The sting of death would be removed. And this is where we stand. This is why we celebrate. This is why in this season of Advent, we have hope. And this is why I want our hearts to just be bent one degree towards this reality as we look back and we remember the promise that was made in the garden was kept in the manger that he was born his name is jesus and it changes everything that sin has been defeated it's not yet removed We still feel the pains. We still feel the groans. But that's why we look ahead. This is why I said we stand in the middle of two realities. We celebrate the faithfulness of God and we await the future faithfulness of God for his return when sin is not just defeated, but it is removed altogether. 
and there will be no more tears, no more disease, no more war, no more brokenness. It has already been rendered powerless by Christ. He is waiting to draw people to himself before his return. This is why we plant churches. This is why we proclaim the gospel. Because we are calling people to Christ. Trust in him. We have something worthy to celebrate that is full of hope and joy. And he is coming again. And when he returns, there will be no more time. There will be no more opportunity. So trust in him today. So I want to conclude with two two action steps for us this month. The first is I want to encourage us to pray for our hearts. There's this passage in, in Psalm 119 verse 36 that when the psalmist prays, Lord, incline my hearts, incline my hearts toward your testimony testimonies and away from my selfish gain. I find myself praying this prayer often where it's Lord bend my heart toward you. Sometimes I want what I want, but I pray and I'm asking God, Lord, would you bend my heart one degree toward faith? Would, would you bend my affections away from myself, away from fear, away from despair and toward you. Lord, incline my heart to pray for yourself in this way, but also pray for us collectively. Us, Crosspoint, New City, say, Lord, what would it look like if God bent our heart collectively one degree toward the hope and joy we have in Christ? What would that look like? How might we be different as a community because our hearts were bent just one more degree toward him? How might we step out in faith? How might we respond to those in need? What joy might we have and share with others if God just bent our heart one more degree? The second thing is this. To pray for your heart, number one. And the second thing is to lead your heart. How do you lead your heart in this season? That, that I realize that Advent, like, even for us, like trying to find dates, like when will this work? Like there's work parties and there's family parties. And are you going to this house? Are you going to that house? It can become a very busy season. There's a lot to do. And I don't want us to just get swept up on the treadmill of the holiday. And so we want to provide some resources to help you in, in different ways that, that might work for you. And, and the first is this. There's a 25-day devotional called Preparing Room that we have available online for you. That it's for each day. We're only on the third day. And this is for something that maybe you can do individually, you can do as a couple to read through, to kind of take time each day to, to lead your heart in this season, to, to meditate on the reality of the hope that we have in Christ, to not just let time sweep by, but to take moment as we're praying for God to bend our heart for him to do that work. Or, or maybe as a family or a community group, or the second thing is we have an Advent community guide. 
It's a weekly guide, so it's just once a week, not daily for families or community groups that are looking for something to do together. So I know most of our community groups are are taking a break during December, and then we start back up more fully in February, but others are meeting together. And if you're looking for something to do as a community group or just around your table once a week, I would encourage you, pick this up, read it. It's built around some poems, and it's meant to help guide you in this time to be intentional outside of just Sunday morning for the hour that we have together. The last thing that we have are coloring pages. Uh, We got a license from a company called Visual Theology that allows you to download these. These are great for kids, but also adults. If you enjoy coloring, that they're very, uh, some of them are more intricate designs that kind of walk you through different passages. It has things at the end, but if you're looking for things to do with your kids, how do I help shepherd my kids? Or maybe I just like to color. That's fine too. You can download them, print them up, as many as you want. You'll see on the last slide there's a QR code. If you have our worship guide, there's a QR code on the back of that. If you scan it, it will uh, take you to the webpage with all three of those that you can download or you can just scan it off the TV. But our heart in this is to provide resources outside of today that we have a hope in Christ. There is a reason why we celebrate Advent. So let's pray. Let's ask that God would bend our hearts just a little more toward him. Let's pray.